1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you'll go ahead and turn in your Bibles there or push whatever you push on the phone, just however you get there, get there. I think you'll want to see what God's Word has to say this morning. We're continuing this verse-by-verse study through 1 Thessalonians, and today we're continuing that series, Flourish. Now, when you, and the whole idea of flourishing is really seen in the scripture we're about to read today. But to flourish, today we're talking about it in the context of when you pursue purity. So the definition of flourish today is to be healthy and thriving, to blossom, to be at the height of influence. And we see this language here in verse one, the second part of verse one, when Paul says that you should abound more and more. Well, the whole, the whole context of what he's saying there is this idea to blossom, to, to, to be at the height of influence, to, to be healthy and thriving. So look at the introduction this morning as we begin this sermon. Did the fact you are a follower of Christ affect the way you lived this past week? How you spoke, how you acted, how you reacted, what you put before your eyes? What about the conversations you entertained? What you truly believe determines how you walk or how you live your life. Now, now when we begin to think about these ideas and and we begin to think about the Christian life and, and, and living what we profess, the sad thing is that many people in the Christian community really don't know what they believe. Uh, They really don't. It's amazing when people claim they know the scriptures and then they begin to speak. And I don't know about you, but I know enough about scripture to know if I'm really hearing scripture or not. And, And so many times they're saying things that really are not scriptural, but they are attributing it to God's word. And the sad thing is that many Christians fall into this category in the fact that they really don't know what they believe. And so really the question is this, does your walk match your talk? But a better question is this, do you know what you're talking about? And so this morning, I want us to look at something that I believe is affecting our culture more than anything that no one seems to have a clear, concise way of looking at it, even in the Christian community. And so this morning, I want us to look at that. The first thing Paul does here in chapter four is he talks about this appeal, And the terminology he uses is this, you ought to please God. So look on your outline. Our Christian faith is to be applied to every area of our lives. So many times I'll hear people say, you know, uh, yeah, I I, I go to church on Sunday mornings. I do this, I do that. I I, I go and hear a pastor preach or teach the word and and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. But it's got to be more than that. The question is, just as we sang about this morning in our worship, are you encountering God? Are are you coming across him? Is is he there in the path of your life? Or is he just where you show up to be on Sunday mornings and then you feel like you leave at that point? No, he wants to invade. He wants you to encounter him in every area of your life, even in the personal parts, even in the, the secrets. And so in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1, he says this. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, that you blossom in your faith, that you thrive in your faith. He says, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk, how you should live your life, 
and to please God. The word ought here does not mean something that is optional, but it means it speaks of an obligation. And so really when you look at what Paul's writing here, he's writing what we would call a moral imperative. You and I are to live our lives in such a way that it is pleasing to the Lord. And some of you may be sitting here this morning and say, you're saying I ought to? Yeah, Romans 12, one puts it this way. Look here on the screen. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. And then he says this, which is your reasonable service. That, that's the whole idea of ought to. That's the whole idea that, that the part that we have, that, that we're left with here in this world, this body that, that has all these urges, uh, this body that have these inner desires that can get us in trouble. He's basically saying we need to offer that up as a sacrifice. We ought to bring it and yield it under the Spirit's control. And he'll talk more about this in just a moment. But in this context, ought carries the idea of this. In light of what God has done for us, we ought to do this. That's really what he's saying here. So we see the appeal. You ought to please God. Second of all, our Christian faith is to be built on the word of God. And that's where we go and we look in and we peer into this world. And, and to me, it's very obvious the world really doesn't know what God's word says. I mean, there's things that the lost community is saying about God that, that, that just blows my mind. And I'm sitting here thinking, you don't even know what you're talking about. How many of you have seen that on screen? I mean, you see it. And then you hear these who profess to be Christians and maybe they write books or maybe they teach on television. And you're sitting there and you're like, that, that, that's nothing about what I read in scripture. That's so far from the truth. And then you'll hear individuals on these crazy TV shows uh, where they're basically living life in front of you and they, again, attribute certain things to scripture and you're saying, where's that at? I don't know about you, but it's very obvious. The world, our society is getting so far away from scripture that the things that they think are in there are not in there. And it's just amazing. It blows my mind. Look at what he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 2. He says, for you know... But what? Many don't know, do they? He says, but you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Now the precepts, this is talking about the precepts found in scripture. Our life should be built on the word of God and not the trends of the culture. Think of this. The word of God is our authority. As we as followers of Christ, it's our God, it's our standard for living. His word protects us and provides for us. His word is the best path forward into our future. And yet many don't even know what they're building their life upon because they claim it's that, but they don't know what it says. The appeal, you ought to please God. Our Christian faith, thirdly, should be founded on the will of God. Now, one way to know the will of God for your life is to begin to do the things that are clearly revealed in the Bible as being the will of God. Did you know there are certain things, there are certain mandates in Scripture, there's ways that's said in Scripture, it says, for this is the will of God that you blah, blah, blah. Did you know it doesn't get any clearer than that? I mean, it literally says that. And yet so many people out there, I wonder what God's will is for me in this. Well, it addresses that. Tells you exactly what his will is. 
So, so there's certain things, it's that idea that we need to live what we already know. One idea is how can I be blessed financially? Most people are still asking that question. How many of you like to be blessed financially? Did you know that the Bible says something about that? It does. It's concerning your finances. He's talking about the idea of tithing. He's talking about giving to others. To be a source of blessing seems to be that if I'm a source of blessing, he'll give me the blessings. And so many times... We miss that. Here, here's something that's right here in the text. First Thessalonians chapter four, look at verse three. He says, for this is the will of God. And he's getting ready to tell us. So if you're sitting here today and you're like, you know something, I came in here today wanting to know a little more about who God is. I do wanna know what his will is for me. Guess what? You're getting ready to find out. It's very clear. So when he says the will of God, you don't have to wonder about it. You don't have to pray about it. You don't even have to think about it. You just do it. Flip over maybe one page to 1 Thessalonians chapter five. Look at verse 18. Look at what it says. This is one of those texts I'm talking about. In everything, give thanks. Now look at what it says next. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You know what that tells me? I don't have to ask, Lord, should I be ungrateful for this? I don't have to ask that. Or you know what the answer is? It's right there. And God's word is that clear. And so that tells me it's not a matter of not understanding God's word. It's a matter of not being in God's word. It's, not a, matter, it's, a, it's a matter of not encountering him through his word. So 1 Thessalonians chapter four, look at verse three, for this is the will of God. Now let's look at the answer. The answer is also in verse three, the will of God is sanctification. How many of you just love those big words in the Bible? Don't you love those? I can't even pronounce most of them, just to be honest with you. I can get this one. I mean, now you can see this one. But this word sanctification, it literally speaks of a process of growth. It's, it's from a sinner who lives their own standards, who lives possibly by the world's standards, to being a saint living by the standards and the will of God. It's really, sanctification speaks of literally the idea of transformation, where we go from being this to being this. In this case, going from being a sinner who lives as a sinner to being a saint and attempting to live the life of a saint. And he's basically saying there's a process associated with this. So the process of sanctification, listen to this, moves you towards the will of God, the way God desires you to live your life. And by the way, the closer you get to living the will of God is the best plan for you. It is. So many times we think when God says thou shall not do this and thou shall do this, we think He's keeping something from us, don't we? I remember even as a teenager and a young man beginning to think, you know something? Why can't we enjoy everything like everybody else seems to be enjoying it? Well, first of all, that joy only lasts for so long. You do realize that because it leads to emptiness. It leads to things that are outside the will of God. Therefore, it will never be fulfilling in and of itself. God is basically saying, when I give you a command, when I give you a precept, what I'm giving you is the best path forward to live a fulfilling, enriching life. But so many of us say, you know something? I think I'll go the way the world's going because it seems to be working out so well for the world. <laughs> really? When you think about it, 
Sanctification has two connotations. And, and here's where we, this is where we need to get our minds around this. It means we're saved from something and we're saved for something. It means we've been set apart from something, right? And we've been set apart for something. And so therefore this process that we go through in our lives, the only way we're gonna understand what we've been saved from and what we've been saved for, we gotta get in the word. We gotta know what the will of God is. Now, so what, are some of, what does some of this look like? What's one of the best paths forward when it comes to sanctification? So look on your outline. Paul tells us, sanctification is the process of abstaining from sexual immorality. Abstaining from sexual immorality. He, he just puts it here. It's not something we're, we're trying to just fill in a blank. He tells us, look at what he says in verse, uh, uh, verse three, the second part. He says, the answer is your sanctification. And what does that look like? That you should abstain from sexual immorality. Again, here's what he's saying. I'm keeping you from something for something. That's the mentality here. That's what sanctification is. And this is the idea of it surrounding sexual immorality. So here in this passage, the emphasis is not saying, I want to keep you from something. He's saying, I want to keep you for something. And again, here's what we need to understand about God's commands. They are always there and they're always in place to protect us and to provide for us. But the world tells us, no, let's try this. The enemy says, let's try this. And you know what happens deep within us? Our inner desires, that flesh nature wants to identify with the enemy's message, identify with the culture's message. When God says, no, this is the best way over here. Now, our sex-crazed society, how many of you agree that I've accurately portrayed it? Our sex-crazed society has produced, and I want you to think about what it's done. It's almost wrecked the sanctity and institution of marriage. Would you agree with that? I mean, it's amazing what, what this has done. It has produced many sexually transmitted disease, diseases. It has flooded our culture with filthy literature and images. It has produced an avalanche of child molestation and sexual perversions of all kinds. But guess what? That's just not for the 21st century. When Paul wrote this in the first century, some of the things that we're seeing going on in our culture, guess what? They were going on in the first century also. It was the same plight then as it is now. But you know what our crazy society has also done? It has killed the innocent. Many times the innocent have been the victims of the sexual crazed society in which we get to the point that what should be beautiful and should be produced through sexual intimacy is now something we don't want. We want to destroy it. We're finding that everywhere too. Physical intimacy, let me just say this, is not dirty, it is beautiful and has beautiful results. It literally brings forth life. It brings forth life in a relationship. And guess what? It literally brings forth life or has the potential. Now, I want you to think of this. I mean, you've heard this illustration before. Fire, think of this. Fire is not a bad thing. Think about it. We cook with fire, right? 
We do. If you cook outside, you probably cook with fire. If you have a gas stove, which you better be careful, but you can cook on fire. But, but, but it's a good thing. It can provide for our needs, our basic needs. It can, it can keep us, it can give us food. It can keep us warm. Yet the potential for fire can also be the most destructive force on the planet. Did you know our sexual appetite works the same way? It can work the same way. It, it can provide for our basic need. It can bring the intimacy that many people crave. Physical intimacy works in the same way. It has the potential to be a beautiful act between a man and a woman to meet intimacy, the intimate needs of a person. Yet it has the potential to also bring about destruction. And for many, they're living with the guilt and the shame. For many, they have a perverted view of sexual intimacy in such a way that they look at it, it will fulfill me in this way. When God says, no, it's intended to fill you in this way. Did you know that the world can't promise what it delivers? Or do I got it around? It can't deliver what it promises. <laughs> it can't do it has all these promises. How many, how many of you just listen to all the promises all the time? Oh man, your life will be complete if you'll just add this to it. Your life will be complete if you could have this person on your arm or if you can, if you can do this and you can do, if you can have that person, whatever. It, it gives you all these promises. It hardly ever delivers. The enemy, our society and our flesh have defiled both the institution of marriage, physical intimacy through the means of high divorce rates, living together outside of marriage, and a homosexual, a homosexual agenda that, by the way, listen, is not God's plan. It's very clear in scripture. That's another one, that's another one of those things that everybody's talking about that is just blowing this thing up and saying this and saying that about. It's very clear in scripture. And yet we wonder, what is going on with our society? We're walking away from the word of God and the will of God. When God is over here trying to tell us this is the best path forward. When God is saying, you want to be fulfilled, you can be more fulfilled than you've ever thought about being fulfilled if you'll do it my way. And yet we're choosing a different way. Physical intimacy within marriage is a God-given gift from him that is intended to bring fulfillment, beauty, and even life. Now think of this. Sanctification is also the process not only of abstaining from sexual immorality, but controlling one's body. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 4, it says this, that each of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Your vessel is your body. Your, your vessel is, is your body with its appetites. And, and, and Paul is basically saying, you being a follower of Christ, you ought to know how to possess your body. You ought to know how to discipline your body. You ought to know how to control your body. But the problem is, most people in our society, many people in our society live like animals. Uh, they just live on their basic urges. And what they want, they go after it, no matter how perverted it may be. And, and I'm telling you, that's what we're seeing. That's what's being unleashed before us. And, and so a vessel is in one body. It carries, listen, you know what our vessels do? You know what our bodies do? It, our bodies carry our true selves. 
Now, who are we truly? Who are we truly as followers of Christ? The Bible says we are in Christ. It's just fancy language for that is where our identity is. We're not, listen, this is what blows my mind. We spend so much, I, we spend so much on the body, the vessel that carries our true selves around. You get my picture here? This is just the body. What's going to happen to this body? It's returning to the dust. Okay, this body is going to be laid down. This body carries our true selves. So, so when you begin to look at who you are, you're not what the shell is. You're what's on the inside. You're, what, you're the work that Christ is doing and the word of God is doing on the inside. But what do we do in our society? We, 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 do, we, we, we pay more attention to the body. And again, please understand, if the... Barn needs paint and paint it. I get all that, okay? I, <laughs> I'm not talking about we need to be plain and, and no, try to look your best. But you're not defined by that. Beauty is fleeting. How many of y'all are old enough to identify with that? Yes, we, we know that, don't we? Our true selves is what is inside this vessel. It does not define us. What in us defines us. Well, what defines us is what we do with these bodies. It, what, what defines us is what's controlling the body. Is it the word of God or is it the inner desires that can become very animalistic that just wants what it wants at any cost to the selfish desires of it. Doesn't just throws caution into the wind and no authority has ever looked at. It's just, I want what I want, however I want it, whatever way it can happen, no matter how perverted, that's the world we're living in. And he's saying, that's not the best way. He's saying, I have a plan. And it's a beautiful plan. And if you want to be a part of this plan with me and go with me on this journey, come on. And that's what he's telling us here. He says, how do we get there? By controlling our bodies. Therefore, we are to discipline our bodies. Listen, we are to tame our lusts and inner desires. We are intended not to live as animals. Listen to this. You discipline, you control your body. He's saying here, by abstaining from sexual immorality. How do you do that? Through your mind. Romans 12, two. Here's the second part of what we... Uh, talked about earlier. Do not be conformed to this world. Now, what does that mean? Don't take your cues from the world. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. The world, listen, the world knows how to speak the language of the flesh, doesn't it? The world, the enemy knows how to speak the language to entice the flesh, to, to put something there that creates a yearning and a desire. And, and Paul in Romans says, don't, don't go that way. How are you to go? But being transformed. How? By the renewing of your minds. It's really the whole idea of just taking, your, taking the emphasis of who you are from over here to over here. It's the idea of being saved from something and being saved for something. That's the language here. Why would we do that? that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. Let me give you a paraphrase of that last part. He's saying, do these things that you may live in the reality of what God desires for you. Now, let me ask you a simple question. 
Do you want what God says is best for you? Or do you want what your flesh tells you is best for you? That's really our two choices, isn't it? Which one, do we, which one are we feeding? Which one are we? Can I give you a paraphrase of this whole language that we're talking about? Some of y'all may be looking at what's on Yahoo and these different things. And I don't watch this show, but I definitely have heard about this show. But did you know, you know what a good paraphrase of this is? Don't take your theology from the bachelorette. <laughs> How many of you know what I'm talking about? You've seen it. Some of you are like, what's he talking about? What's he talking about? Uh, don't look it up now. We're preaching here, okay? <laughs> don't take your theology. I mean, that poor girl, bless her heart. She has a warped mind of what is the truth of God's word. It's not... That's not God's word. What she, I mean, it's just, it, just, it just blows your mind. The license that many people in our culture are taking. And, and basically, here's what they say. Oh, it's all under the blood. I can go live how I want to. It's under the blood. They know just enough to be dangerous. Listen, they know just enough to, that sends them to hell is really what it is. Anybody glad you came today? Some of you are sitting there like... Sanctification is the process of abstaining from sexual immorality, controlling one's body. Thirdly, resisting lustful passion. Isn't it amazing how Paul says, you know, this is the will of God. This is the whole process of sanctification. Isn't it amazing how the Holy Spirit of God writes through Paul and says it in such a way. Let's begin with what's probably tripping most of y'all up with. And that's sexual immorality. And he's basically saying, okay, you need to control your body. You need to put it under submission of the spirit of God, under submission of God's word, recognizing him as the authority. And then you need to resist this passion. First Thessalonians 5 says, 4 or 5 says, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who did not know God. Now, some of you are sitting there Gentiles. What's all that? Well, in the context of what he's writing, a Gentile is anyone who's not a Jew. Now, you say, oh, Jew, what? Jews are, no, no, what it is, is that language that God's word came through the Jew. They knew better. The Gentiles, Paul was basically, and by the way, Paul was called as a missionary to Gentiles to teach those who do not know the will of God, the word of God, to know the word of God. And so that's the language here. He, he's basically saying, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who, who have no awareness of God, who are worshiping something false out there, they don't know God. But here's what he's talking about. Don't be enslaved to this, this power of lust. Don't be enslaved to pornography, living together, the homosexual lifestyle. These are enslaving. He, basically, when you think about the morality of the world, here's what you hear. Listen to this. You have what's called the playboy morality. And it says this. Physical intimacy is a natural impulse and instinct and anything natural is good. That's okay if you're referring to animals. But that's not what the Bible says about us. Morality of the world. Here's the romantic re reality. Morality. Sex is good as long as it's done with someone you really care about. 
Can you see how both would be very misleading? We can expect the world to act sexually immoral, but God does expect us as his children to be sexually pure. He says this, for this is the will of God. We are to be, we are to remain sexually pure because when we lose our purity, he almost really says it this way. If you look at different places in scripture, we lose everything. We lose our, we lose our in, innocence. We could potentially lose our families. We can lose the intimacy between the one that God has brought into our lives. He's saying, be careful, which leads us to this next point. Look on your outline, the admonition. In verse six, he says, be forewarned. You know what that literally means? It means, it literally means be warned. It means be prevented. It means be careful navigating through a sex-crazed society, which was going on in the first century when this was written and is still going on 2,000 years later in the society in which we live. And so here's why he says that. Sexual immorality, look on your outline, steals from others. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 6, it says this, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this manner. He's basically talking that language here is, is a language of adultery. Uh, and it could be premarital physical intimacy. It could be, could be both. And, and the fact that when you uh, take on someone who's not truly yours, you know who's truly yours? When you marry that person, when you protect the sanctity of that relationship. And he's saying anything that's done outside of that, he's saying is a form of stealing. It's just like a young man that, that decides he wants to uh, step up the relationship and become physically intimate with, a, with his girlfriend. And, and let's just say that that relationship doesn't continue and she winds up marrying someone else. The Bible says literally that that, that man stole something from that guy who eventually would enter with her in that relationship. Same way with adultery. If adultery is going on, someone's stealing from someone. That's the language he's using here. I hear sometimes through brokenness, by the way. Here's what I'll hear, especially when I was a youth pastor. Young girl will come, broken. And here's what I'll hear. He told me he loved me. He told me he loved me. I don't have to say anything else. Y'all figured it out, hadn't you? He told me he loved me. He got what he wanted and he left. He took something that didn't belong to him. That's the language that's being used here. And that's what we see. Be forewarned, the admonition. Be forewarned, sexual immorality invites God's judgment. Isn't it amazing how we don't talk about that anymore? Verse six, it says, because the Lord is the avenger of all such actions and as also we forewarned you and testified. You better be careful. You know, so many times, I think when we think of God's judgment, we think that, oh my goodness, if we do this, lightning is gonna come down and take us out. There's God's judgment. Now, did you know God's judgment could be a part of the natural consequences of what we start in our lives? You do know that, right? We live in a fallen world. There are certain things in this fallen world that will dictate certain consequences. And if we go over here and we play in this world, we open ourselves up to the fallenness of this world and its consequences, whether we're talking disease or whatever it may be. 
And all of a sudden, it follows us. It can be very dangerous. Next, sexual immorality distorts God's purpose. Verse seven, for God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. He's saying these things that I've spoke about, they defile you. But the things God wants for you is purity. He wants innocence. He wants there to be a fulfilling joy that you can have in a relationship. Next, the admonition, he says, be forewarned, sexual immorality re- literally, now this is big, rejects God's spirit. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 8, it says, therefore, he who rejects this, what he's just stated, does not reject man because what? Man's, man's idea of this is what? <laughs> Live it up. Man will never speak against this. But God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's something here. He says, man will applaud the Holy Spirit, however. And here's what I understand about what I'm reading here because I'm looking at it in the broader context of Scripture is the fact the Holy Spirit is doing everything. His role is to convict. His role is to help you make proper judgments about your life. And the Holy Spirit is there pouring those things out for the believer that as the believer moves towards defilement, the Holy Spirit is saying there's a better choice. There's a better choice. There's a better choice. And literally it means when I go into sexual immorality, I'm stepping over the message and the voice of the Holy Spirit to enter into that defilement. It's just like Jonathan said earlier, anytime temptation is out there, anytime, anytime it's out there for the believer, the Bible says there's always a way of escape. There's always a way to, to get out of that for the believer. We don't have to live like the rest of the world. We can live God's best So here it is, the application. Are you aware of the cost of sexual immorality? Are you aware of what it may cost you if you enter into that type of defilement? Did you know that the Bible says that sexual immorality can be one of the most dangerous things you can get yourself into? The Bible says that. Now, we know that all sin is sin, right? Sin is sin. But, and we know that when every sin nailed Jesus to the cross, right? And we're talking about the little lie. We're talking about murder. We're talking about all that, all that put him there. All that makes us guilty before him. But here's what he's saying. The potential of sexual immorality can, grab, can, can create more consequences than you can ever imagine. Get you into more trouble than you could ever imagine. It carries a greater weight because it has the potential to destroy so much, including many lives. So are you aware of the cost of sexual immorality? Number two, what are you doing to protect yourself from falling into sexual sin? What are you doing? Someone asked me not long ago, they said, what do you look more, most forward to about heaven? And I know some of you'd say, seeing those who have gone before us, I get that. I'm just like you. I can't wait to see those who went before us. Some of you may say, I've never seen Streets of Gold. I'd like to check that out, you know. Some of you'd be like, you know, I just want to see Jesus. 
the one who provided all this for me and gave me a hope and a reason. But sometimes, you know what I long for most about heaven? The fact that temptation will be removed from my life. I do. Sometimes I just get sick and tired of the temptation and the battles of this life, the battles of this world. Don't you? I can't wait for that. But let's back up. We're here. This is our reality right now. What are you doing to protect yourself from falling into sexual immorality? What, what are you doing to take a step back? So many of us in our culture, and I've talked about this before, when there's sin, when there seems to be that line, what do we tend to do? What's our natural inclination? To get as close as we can without falling over into it, right? Some of you are sitting there like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Eli. We get as close as we can do it without saying we did it. Did you know that's one of the most dangerous places to be? What we've got to do, if we want to be forewarned, what if we want to be preventive, if we want to make sure this type of destruction does not come into our lives, that we not become defiled by this world, is we take several steps back. And it doesn't mean that we move ourselves in such a way that, that we're so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good and God can't use us. I'm not talking about that. But we do certain things to be, ensure ourselves that we will have God's best because we're not sitting here toying with it playing with it, rationalizing it, but we're stepping back and saying, you know something? I've determined that I want God's best. I've determined that I ought to, in relation to what he's done for me, I ought to honor him with my life in such a way that I'm firmly behind that line. And you know something? Your family will thank you for it. And the generations to come will thank you for it. Next, are you living a life that pleases God? And, and here's how I want to end this. Some of you may be saying, in this area, I've already blown it. You know my testimony. I blew it coming out of the gate when I was a teenager. I blew it in this area. I did. I dealt with the consequences of all that. I dealt with the shame that was associated with it. I dealt with the guilt that was associated with it. I dealt with the consequences that came with it. It's, the consequences were so great that, that if you were to say, okay, you need to relive, if, if, if you're given the option, would you like to relive your life? I never want to go back to this back here again. I, I don't want to go through that shame and that guilt that I went through over here. I don't want to go through the hard work that it took to, to come out from under it all, to, 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 to live the life that God's best for me. I, I, listen, I feel like right now, I, I do. I feel like I'm not making all the great decisions, but I feel like I'm living God's best right now. I can't say that I was there many years ago, but it sure took me a long time to get out from under those consequences to be where I am today. And did you know the same thing can happen in your life? Some of you men, you may be caught up in things you know you shouldn't be caught up with. You, you, there's already someone in your life that's caught your eye that, that given the right opportunity, you, you could fall or you could make a mistake. I, I don't know. What preventively are you doing to keep yourself from that line, to keep yourself from stepping over, from defiling yourself? You ladies, 
I, I know for many of you ladies, there's a whole type different world for you, but who, who recently in your life are you sharing your heart with that you probably have no business sharing your heart with? Where, where do you find yourself? What, do you want God's best? Would you stand to your feet, please? As Wesley plays this morning, I just want us to stand here with our eyes closed, no one looking around. And you've heard the sermon. You've heard the questions. What's missing? I think for most of us in this room, what's missing is our submission to your word when it comes to this message. Our obedience to this word. Father, we live in a world that is sexually impure, that makes a mockery of marriage, that has shows on TV that makes a mockery, that has lifestyles that make a mockery. In so many different ways, the institution that you established first, that being the sanctity of marriage, is slowly being eroded here in our society. So many different things that are contributing to it. Father, I pray that we as families, we as men, we as women, that we will sell out to the fact that you have so much more for us than what this world offers. That the man that's standing in this room right now would realize that what the enemy's throwing at him right now will not deliver. It won't be what he thinks it'll be. Father, for that lady that's just Maybe she doesn't get the attention at home that she so desires. And, and maybe she's been looking elsewhere. Maybe she's trying to get a little attention from somewhere else. Help her to realize, Lord, that the completeness of who you made her to be and all that will rest, Lord, in that marriage, that you want that marriage to go through healing, that you want it to be healed. Father, I pray for us as men that we won't yield to the enemy and what he wants to put before us. But Lord, that we would stand firm against it. Father, we would never grow weary doing good, realizing that you have so much more for us. That Father, our needs can be met there in our families. The greatest of our needs are intended to meet, be met by the family, Father, but not just by the family, but also through you, Father, as you work in that ar arrangement that you created many, many years ago. Father, I thank you for the marriages that are in this room, that the faithfulness of these marriages, Father, the way that, Lord, you've, I guarantee most of us in this room, it's, it's only by your grace that many of us are still together. But Father, we know that, Lord, it's been worth it. It's been tough. It's been worth it. And Father, there may be others in this room who are, who are living possibly through some of the consequences of decisions in this area that they've made. Father, help them to realize that, Lord, that, that healing can take place no matter where they are, that you can bring the healing of that, Father. But Father, we pray that you've had your way in this time with us, Father, that you would continue to show us your way, your will, and most of all, your truth. Father, I pray, and I ask the ushers to come forward. Father, I pray as we take this offering that you would use it to help us to be faithful to the task you call us to, to make you known to a world that's out there. And again, we thank you for what you desire to do in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated.